Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth. Consistently, I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. I started thinking about what choosing well, choosing wisely, and choosing love meant in my personal life first. And so I used those six words to rebuild our life together. And it started to inform everything that I did. And whether it was conscious or not, Today on episode 558 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the founder of Master of One Coaching, Merit Minimeyer. I'm going to ask Merit how you can create opportunities that are grounded in your own principles and much more. You can find out more about Merit along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Merit Minimeyer. Merit is the founder of Master of One Coaching, which serves visionary founders transforming into powerful leaders of purpose-driven movements. She is a highly trained coach and speaker who employs 20 years in business, education, social justice, and the arts to create high-touch leadership programs for every client. Passionate about social entrepreneurship, Merit is committed to contributing to the health, wealth, and harmony of the world. She shares her life with her remarkable husband, their three vibrant boys, and a menagerie of critters. Merit, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you on. Mary, you've gone through some major transitions in your work and your life. What have you learned about how to focus on your purpose and make money doing it? That's a fantastic question. I have learned that without purpose, it can become one can become directionless and or the direction does not have meaning in the same way that it would if there is a purpose grounded in values and in relationships, really. What are some of the the big transitions that you have gone through that sort of have led you to understand this major principle? Well, there's so many. (laughs) I would say that, I mean, I would start with growing up as a performer. I started performing at the very young age of three and training and dance and music and the theater and all of that. And I followed that track all the way up through college, where I went from being born and raised in Northern California to moving to New York City when I was 17 and pursuing a degree or degree, excuse me, in acting at NYU. And that was my primary identity was, was that I was a performer. When I got out of my degree program, and I was 20 years old and let loose on the city. And I realized very quickly, I actually kind of realized before I even graduated, that it was not an industry that I was aligned with. And that was a shock to me. It was devastating in a lot of ways because it really called into question my identity. And I flagged in the wind for a long time after that. (laughs) It took me so many years to find the place where I feel most purposeful. And along those, along that path, I got married. I became a mom of three boys, all through adoption. And I actually went through three different master's degree programs before I finally finished the one. <laughs> 
still always seeking. I became a teaching artist, which I absolutely loved. And that then sort of evolved into more traditional education settings where I was doing leadership development. And that then evolved into being a social justice program facilitator along the lines of leadership development through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. And all of these, all of these different changes were not conscious decisions. That is to say, I was not mapping out a plan ahead of time. I was, I was just sort of following the opportunities that fell into my path with exception perhaps of getting married and adopting my kids. The other ones though were basically, I wouldn't say aimless wandering, but wandering without a rudder. And so the biggest or most profound transition change that I went through was when my first husband, Peter, was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And for the first few months of his treatment, he, he suffered a great deal most of his life from anxiety and depression, and oftentimes debilitating anxiety and depression. In fact, sometimes we refer to it as a third party in our marriage because it was so much a presence there. And when he became... When he got diagnosed after the initial shock, I watched him go through a bit of a, a rebirth for a little while. And it was almost as if he felt like there was nothing left to lose. And so he spent the first few months after his diagnosis saying in every possible way he could, through whether it was through his own performance or writing or just through his relationships, seize the moment and every every relationship you has have is precious and every opportunity you have is worth something and don't throw it away. He was just so passionate about getting that message out. And he was so joyful about getting that message out to so many people. So when his condition took a turn for the worse, and I, and I saw him pretty quickly deteriorate after that, and the whole process took about 13 months. The night he died, I was sitting on the linoleum floor of my sister-in-law's kitchen because he had collapsed earlier in the day in her house. And I had just gotten off the phone with the people from UNITS where here in New York State, that is the organ donation, uh, the primary organization that does deals with organ donation. And they were telling me all of it, where his different parts were going. And it was two in the morning and I got off the phone and I looked down at my phone and I saw an email come through from a, a friend and colleague who was supporting Peter during his treatment. And she had the last words that he ever wrote. And the email talked about what I mentioned earlier about how grateful he was and how he wanted to get his message of, of, of living life to the fullest out, out to the world. He was only 40 years old when he passed, by the way. And the last six words of the, that email from him were, choose well, choose wisely, choose love. And in the moment, I really didn't know what the heck to do with that at the time because my life had blown up, right? And I was still with these three little kids and we actually had not solidify the adoption of the twins then. So there was a lot to handle as a new widow and, and, you know, a foster mom and an adoptive mom who had kind of everything had just sort of collapsed around me. I did follow through with the adoption two weeks after his passing. And I took about a year to collect myself and it was a very messy year, very messy. <laughs> so I made the decision to move uh, but at that time, we were living in Buffalo, New York, where he was born and raised, and we were to, to being around his family, and he had a, a large, has a large family. 
And I really felt like we needed to find a new identity for ourselves as a foursome. So I moved back down here to the Hudson Valley, which is where my initial network uh, was from when I was a performer. And I started thinking about what choosing well, choosing wisely, and choosing love meant in my personal life first. And so I used those six words to rebuild our life together. And it started to inform everything that I did. And whether it was conscious or not, I kept coming back to those six words. I actually had a, a bracelet made of those words that I wore all the time. And I kept asking myself, what does it mean to choose well, choose wisely, and choose love? And so, I mean, the, the, I mean there are lots of different ways in which the, the, those words kind of became inspirational in small and large ways. But I, I will tell you that using that mission statement, I found my, my new husband, Tom, and we are building, we have started to build our life together. We've been together, uh, married five years together, over six. He adopted the, all three children. And I found my way into a professional career now where after I you know, stabilized and, and became grounded in our new family life here with my new husband, I started asking myself, what does it mean to choose love in my work? Because I had worked in all these different facets where I, find, I found passion, I found connection, but I didn't really find focus or, or really a clear purpose. And so I started to ask myself, what does it mean to choose love? And choose well and choose wisely and look back at being a performer. What I love about being a performer, where I love talking to people, I love being on stage, I love connecting with casts and production crews, I love telling stories, I love being able to inspire people and have that emotional, cathartic, inspirational moment. In education, similar kind of passion. I love being able to watch somebody's light bulb turn on and all of a sudden they see the world go from one view to another and opportunities open up right before their eyes because of a new insight they have. And leadership development and diversity and inclusion, similar kind of idea, right? I see my, my world one way and then I offer insight or offer an idea and then they connect to it in some way and suddenly their whole world is opened up in a different way. And I thought, well, how can I do that? all the time. What is that thing? And so I did some research and it turns out it's coaching. <laughs> and I wasn't even aware of it as a field of, outside of the arts and in sports uh, when I first looked into it. But anyway, now that I have been doing this a couple of years on my own and working with entrepreneurs and specifically my, my passion that you said earlier was social entrepreneurship, it really is the mechanism through which I can, I can, there's the confluence of all of my passion points come together in this, in this work that I do now. And it's such a joy because every now, every time I wake up in the morning now, I, I get excited about who I'm talking to. And I, and I just love the work I do. And it, it has become so much easier to work in the world because every day I get to do what I love. And that sounds kind of cliche or trite, but honestly, it's grounded in those transitions that you mentioned and that mission statement that was gifted to me with such concision and such clarity. No, Merit, thank you for sharing all the details because I think they're really important and fundamental to how you have evolved in into a it to a place where you're using a guiding principle to use a process that has helped you with your transitions. And I suspect it's also the primary guiding principle with how you help your clients navigate transitions. That's right. It definitely is. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I find it fascinating that, you know, we're, we're constantly in this, I would say, this dilemma of executing on a plan versus reacting to an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some place in the middle where some of the best results emerge. And I think fundamental to that is having a guiding principle like choose well, choose wisely, choose love that finds the the sweet spot between the plan and the opportunity. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I think, and actually I might, I might present it slightly differently and to say that rather than the middle ground, I would say that it actually creates what Stephen Covey referred to as a third option, which is that it's not what I want or what you want, or, you know, it's a plan versus opportunity. It's really creating opportunities grounded in the, the ethos that you decide is the most important guiding principle for you, right? So, and then from that decision point, that decision that I'm going to choose love in my business, what does that mean to me? Or I'm going to choose to have an, uh, a positive impact on the environment in this specific way, or I'm going to choose to have the positive impact on this population in this specific way. It becomes, when you said react to an opportunity, it actually becomes more proactive. It becomes once I understand that I can decide and claim that mission, then my brain, and there's neuroscience behind this, this is not just woo-woo mumbo-jumbo, my brain will start to attune to where are the opportunities to express that decision. So I'm going to be able to start to identify, oh, that person's going to be a great connector for me. That, that organization will probably provide more opportunities. That partnership is going to help expand my vision of where it's possible for me to express my passion. And so rather than waiting for the opportunities to come to me, which is what I was doing before when I didn't have, when I wasn't being proactive or or conscious about it, the opportunities become, I'm, I'm able to seek them out with such clarity and also discern and dismiss which ones are going to be useful and meaningful and for lack of a better word, magical for me. And which ones are not. Mm-hmm. Like you did with creating your coaching business. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some ways you've seen this play out for social entrepreneurs? Well, one of the things that I absolutely love about social entrepreneurship is that it is derived from mission-driven work from the get-go. And so it makes it that much easier to stay within or just to stay on track within a certain purpose. And that really comes from, what really informs that for me is all those years and 20 plus years in nonprofits, right? Which is also, it's a mission-driven work. However, in both scenarios, both sectors, even if the mission is clear, right? I want to help young women get to college, let's say, through, you know, means of scholarship and relationships and academic opportunities. Let's say that's a mission. Even within that specific mission, What's referred to in the nonprofit community as mission drift is so uh, it's so easy to happen, right? First of all, and there's a couple of different ways in which that happens. It's that we lose sight of what we're doing because we get caught up in the office politics or the culture of the organization is not a walk in the walk in some way. Uh, or we just try to do too much, bought off more than we can chew, and it ends up not really being meeting the heart of the mission of the organization. Um, the The other thing that is really critical is that when people engage in mission-driven work, there is often this idea that we don't need to get paid for it or make money at it 
because we believe in, we're passionate about it and that's enough. Now, what I love about social entrepreneurship is that really addresses that head on and says, no, no, we're actually going to take a for-profit model and marry it with mission-driven work. And we're going to see that everybody's going to thrive, the people who are doing the work, the people who are receiving the, whatever benefit or you know service or product from it, investors, everyone's going to benefit from it. And yet there is still what we can sum up in, you know, moder- martyrdom <laughs> that creeps in, which can be devastating to any organization in terms of the morale and the and the culture within the organization. And so what I do is I come in and I help the leadership, whether it's you know a small organization with a single founder who is building the team, or whether it's a an organization who has you know some runway, some funding, some revenue, and they have a leadership team already in place and they're looking to scale or build or or just write the ship. Getting back to what is the essence of why we're here? Simon Sinek often talks about, you know, start with why. What is the essence of why we're here? Let's get so clear on that that nobody can shake us off of the scent of the why. And then we're going to look, we're going to turn inward first and we're going to see, are we actually serving the people in our internal community as well as we are wanting to serve the people in the external community? And that is so hard for people to do because they don't, tend to want to look at themselves in a way that is, they feel under scrutiny, right? I'm doing the good work. Why shouldn't be, I shouldn't need to be investigated. Yeah. Because it's hard to make those changes. I have one client who said to me the other day, he's like, you know, this is, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I'm really, I realize how much I need it, but it's really a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Because we don't often take the time when we're building a business. We look at the process and we look at product, we look at service, we look at revenue, we look at KPI, we look at, you know, all these different things. We don't often look at like, oh, are our employees actually getting the benefit of being here? Are they invested in the long haul? You know, maybe my one client I have says, you know, I want to have an exit strategy in three years. Well, that's not enough to get the, the, the team is not going to be excited about his exit strategy. That's going to make them feel less confident, right? They're going to wonder if they're going to have a job in three years. And so they're, they might be starting to check out already because they, they don't have confidence in their stability and their security. So how do we turn that around so that we can actually get them invested in the longevity of the company and help him accomplish his goal while also continuing the work beyond him? Does that make sense? What I just said? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you turn around that employee mindset when they're, they may be afraid they're going to be out of a job in three years. Well, one thing that he actually discovered that specific client I mentioned is that his, he actually identified one of our sessions. I mean, he's, he's ready to take his exit strategy out, right? He's, he's been doing this a long time, 25 years. He's like, I'm ready to do something else, but he has people who are working for him who haven't had that experience yet. Mm -hmm. And he actually said, you know, one of the best opportunities I ever got from a boss when I was first starting out was he said, here are the guidelines. And I want you to go out there and take this and run with this. And you're going to screw up. And it's okay to screw up because we're safe enough now where your, your failures are not going to tank us. You know, you have room to fail here. So go and have the, have the experience of running the business. And there are people on his staff who really want that. They're hungry for that. So we were able to help him transition his purview from I'm out in three years to wait, I'm actually going to build this business to the place where I actually can hand it off. And the people who are coming up behind him are going to be able to really sink their teeth in it going forward. So setting that up, that plan up for them so that they can actually get excited about moving their career to the next level and moving the work to the next level, even when he's going to be gone or mostly gone. And that was a a huge shift in perspective because 
it carries on the work and the and the company way beyond his actual investment in it. I mean, he's going to be around, you know, he'll probably be on the board or something, but he doesn't want to be in the trenches of it anymore. So it creates a legacy for him, a succession plan that he just hadn't considered because he was just like, yeah, I'm done in three years. <laughs> so, so now we're working on getting that team excited about taking over, right? And, and helping them plan for the future. So they're not just questioning, well, we're even going to have a job in a year or two or three. Right. Which is a, a very different way to navigate a transition. Yes, absolutely. And, and to start that transition, at least in his mind now, so that when we're making plans, right, quarterly goals, annual goals for him now, it's always with the, in mind of who's going to be taking this when I'm done. What do they need to succeed? How can I put the safety nets in place for them? So if they screw up, it'll be, it'll be okay, right? You can have that sort of guardrails in place and the cushion in place to allow for the freedom of failure because that's what the learning is. So. Right. And, and at the same time, you're creating an opportunity that provides multiple wins. Win, mm-hmm. A win for the person who's at the top who wants to exit, win for the people a level below who would like to step up in their career, a win for their clients and customers because there'll be continuity for the business. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, et cetera. And, and, it, and it helps him focus on more than I want to pay out in three years, right? It helps him like, oh, wait, this is actually a different kind of mission behind this work. It's not just about the payout and the service and the customers I'm going to you know, be serving now. It's really this sense of like, I get to give the opportunities to these people who I care about and who are working their butts off for me right now. They're actually going to really thrive from this for potentially years and years to come. So that, it gave him a different sense of purpose. And that was right. really inspiring to him. Right. Which is, it's a different way of thinking about some of these kinds of challenges, particularly when it comes to addressing potential transitions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Merit, if someone wants to go deeper with some of these concepts or access any resources you have, where's the best place for them to go? The best place for them to go is my website, which is masterofonecoaching.com. All one word, all spelled out, O-N-E, one. And there you can book a call with me and we can have a conversation about what it means to you to be passionately invested in your work and your team to be passionately invested in the work and how that affects your product and services, the people you serve and your bottom line too, certainly your legacy also. And there is a, um, a quick free download on that website that you can grab. It's a seven day leadership journal for you to come test out the waters of, of how I work and how I present this, these concepts you can go ahead and download that and you can get on my newsletter too. Great. And is there any other special offer that you wanted to mention? Well, right now I'm running an affiliate program for referrals. So it's a 10% affiliate fee commission for anybody who refers somebody to me, a client or a business to me that closes, they get 10% of the fee. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm finding more and more that I really want to make sure I'm curating my client base And I don't want, I'm not taking on just anybody. I want to make sure that my values are aligned with their values and vice versa so that it's a true partnership. And so by doing that through referral, I know that people who are hearing this and it resonates with them, either through your, your listenership or through relationships I already have built in my network, that if there's a quality relationship already started. So that's an offer that's running right now. It'll be running probably through well, <laughs> I'm looking for two more businesses. I started with the three for the offer. I just got one last week, so I'll have two more. So, you know, whether it, uh, the first 
when I get two businesses on board or through the end of quarter one, whatever comes first. Sounds good. Well, Merritt, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on Smashing the Plateau and share your your story. It's been fascinating to hear how you have evolved and um, how you've taken a, a deep dive in your current business and the, the kind of, uh, of work that you do with, particularly when it comes to social entrepreneurship. My guest today has been the founder of Master of One Coaching, Merritt Minnemeyer. Thank you again, Merritt, for joining us. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today we learned how you can create opportunities that are grounded in your own principles and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.